Father, thank you for the coming of Christ. Pray that you will open our eyes to see more and more of what his coming means for us in the world. We pray this in his name. Amen. Please be seated. The first Sunday of Advent, I, I told a, a story about how a uh, pastor was sitting in church one Sunday and started laughing in the middle of the service. And uh, I said, you know, he never laughed in the service. This was, he was a man of decorum. He just didn't do those kinds of things. But he couldn't help himself. He was just laughing out loud. And the congregation was wondering what in the world was going on with them. And he said the reason he was laughing because they were singing... That that great devotional prayer, take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. And so when we got to that verse about where the the congregation was singing, take my silver and my gold, not a mite would I withhold. He said, he looked out and he thought to himself, I've been trying to take some of their silver and gold for years and nobody wants to give it. And here they are singing to God, take my silver and my gold. And he said, it just made me laugh to think what would happen if God answered that prayer. And out of that, he said, you know, we ought to maybe preach some sermons sometimes about the hymns and the songs that we sing. Because often we sing them without really thinking about what we're saying. And he said, it'd be something you might call, let us live what we sing. And so over the course of these Sundays of Advent, that's what we've been doing. First Sunday, we looked at O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, and then Heart Herald Angels Sing. Joy to the world. And we come to a song today that, that really speaks to the condition of our world. We live in a world of pain. We live in a world of tragedy. We live in a world of violence. We live in a world in which all of that seems to not be, not to be waning, but to increase, to increasing. We live in this world in which it feels like every day we're just waiting. What's the news going to tell us today about something someone did or something that happened? Some new tragedy, some new event, some new act of violence or hatred. And and we just see it snowballing. And quite frankly, in in the context of that, it is very easy for us as human beings to feel like, is it ever going to end? And we wait And of course, we struggle to wait, and we wonder, and we question. And I think that's what's in the mind of Henry Wadsworth Longfellow when he writes this song, I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day. As many of you are aware, Longfellow was the most famous poet of his day. Uh, he, he uh, he, He wrote many, many poems And they were very famous. Uh, uh, Among those poems that he wrote are Tales of a Wayside Inn, The Song of Hiawatha, The Courtship of Miles Standish, Paul Revere's Ride. That was the one that I remembered from grade school. Listen, my children, and you shall hear of the midnight ride of Paul Revere. 
As soon as I saw that title, all those words came flashing back into my mind. So we remember thinking about that in grade school. And this one, I heard the bells on Christmas Day. Longfellow um, had a difficult time in 1861. It was a tough year. For one thing, it was the beginning of the Civil War. And like most Americans, he felt the pain of that war. No one knew when it started how long it was going to end, and it seemed to keep snowballing and getting worse. A few months after the war started, his beloved wife was tragically killed in a fire in their home. And for the next few Christmases, as you might well imagine, he felt grief, not joy. He wrote about it in a variety of settings of his family and the the small children left behind. He said they were married for Christmas, but he just couldn't feel it. All he could feel was lament. And then in December of 1863, his oldest son, who at the age of 19 had run off and enlisted in the Union Army, was severely wounded in battle. He went to, to where his son was, uh, was recuperating, and his son survived and lived, but it deeply affected Longfellow, as you might imagine. And it was either that Christmas Day of 1863 or a year later, Christmas Day of 1864, historians seem to have a difference of opinion about it. But on one of those Christmas days, he wrote this song. And, and he, wrote, he wrote a song that is very personal. You know, you think about the other carols that we've been looking at, and a lot of the carols that we sing, they, write, they, they are written about the, the events of, of Christ's birth. They're written about the people involved in Christ's birth. They're written about the ancient days. But this is not written about that. It's written about the day Longfellow is living. And it is very personal, as you can see from the, from the first person singular pronouns that are used, which is unusual in most Christmas carols. This carol is different in that it doesn't have, it doesn't have the theological depth of Wesley's Hark the Herald Angels Sing, or even of Watts's Joy to the World. It doesn't have that, that historic looking back that we find in O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. It is, it is the words of, of a grieving personal heart about the world as he looks around himself and as he ponders his own existence and he questions. As you can see, it is, it is rooted in the significance of bells, the church bells, the Christmas bells. In Longfellow's day, and certainly long before that, bells were significant to the whole village, a whole town. Because in a, you know, in our world, we have watches and clocks and digital this and digital that. I mean, we have you know all kinds of ways to keep time, but they did not. And for many of the people, it was it was the clock ringing in the church bell tower that was their timepiece. It kept time for both the secular days and the religious holidays. It, it was the, it was, the bells were the thing that draw, drew people together and called people together. It called them to come and to pray. It called them to come and to worship. It called them to mourn. It called them to celebrate. It called them to beware. The bells were just sort of the center point of all of the towns and villages. But there are no bells that sound like Christmas bells. They're very different. 
You know, the, the bells of, of, of a death are, are a different sound. They're mournful. The bells of a tragedy are, are different. And, and, and the bells of a warning are different. But, but the, the bells of Christmas... You know, that we think of, of bells and we think of one bell in a tower ringing, but Christmas bells are different. Listen, just listen to this 10, 15 second recording of Christmas bells from one of the churches in the English villages. You can hear out of that, it's much bigger than just dong, dong, right? I mean, it's just, you can feel the celebration of those bells. You can sense the excitement as people hear those bells calling them to Christmas Day worship. They are significant bells. And you can understand why Longfellow connected those bells to the words of the angels to the shepherds. Let me just read for you the... The translation of that for, from the King James Version, which many of us grew up on and certainly would have been the, the translation that Longfellow would have known. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone around about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not. For behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be the sign to you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. It is this great celebration of peace on earth, goodwill to men that he's describing. I heard the bells on Christmas Day. They're old familiar carols play and wild and sweet. The words repeat of peace on earth, goodwill to men. These are familiar tunes. These are familiar words to Longfellow and to us. We've heard them over and over again. Every Christmas, the bells ring out. Peace on earth, goodwill to men. Peace on earth, goodwill to men. Peace on earth, goodwill to men. But you get a sense as you move to the second verse that there is something about the pealing of the bells, something about the, the message that the bells are proclaiming that are just not quite setting right with him. I thought out as the day had come, the belfries of all Christendom had rolled along the unbroken song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. They keep ringing, they keep ringing, they keep ringing. All the years of his life and the years and years before his life and the years after his life, the Christmas bells keep ringing, peace on earth, goodwill to men, peace on earth, goodwill to men. And then you come to verse 3 and you can feel what he's thinking. And he says, despite the fact that the bells are ringing, peace on earth, goodwill to men, in despair I bowed my head. Because when I look around me, I don't see peace. I don't even see goodwill among human beings. What I see is violence and hatred and bitterness and anger. 
And he, he captures the, the struggle of his heart. And in despair, I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said, for hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Let's be honest. There are days when it feels like everything that's going on in our world is mocking the words of the angels to the shepherds. One more bombing. Another shooting. Another disaster. Another death. We think about, you think about the refugees in this world and the, the predicament and the plight that they have. You think about the people who don't know where their next meal is coming from. You think about people who live in places of famine and drought. You think of, of the pain of death, the pain of illness, the pain that life brings to us. And it can be overwhelming sometimes. And there are days when we, like Longfellow, shake our heads and say, Lord, what's going on? Where are you? I mean, this has been the cry of people from the beginning of when sin entered the world. It's the cry of the Israelites in Egypt. It's the cry of Moses in the wilderness. It's the cry of David in so many of his psalms. It's the cry of the judges and the prophets. It's the cry of the Israelites in exile. It's the cry of the martyrs in revelation. It's the cry of the church, ancient and present, in so many places of the world. God, it looks to us as if hate is more powerful than love. It looks to us that that bitterness and war and violence is just overwhelms our talks of peace. So one of the things that I, I love about the scriptures, I think one of the things that sets apart the scriptures from, it seems to me, most of the other scriptures of all the other religions of the world is that the, the Bible is brutally honest. There is no sense in the scriptures that you get sugarcoating real life. Now, that bothers a lot of people because they don't want the real life. They want the scriptures to, to just sugarcoat everything. But God knows real life. And God's, the scriptures speak to us of real life. And it's real people living real lives with real pain, just like you and me. And when Jesus comes into the world, he comes into a world that is full of pain and violence and hatred. I mean, all you have to do is just think about how Herod responds to hearing about the birth of Jesus. And the weeping in Bethlehem. Longfellow's just simply describing the burden and the cry of the human heart. And in that cry, there is this underlying sense that you see revealed a little bit in the next verse about God, I don't know which, which is the problem. Is it that you can't do anything about it or is it that you won't? Maybe it's both. There is this yearning in his heart and I think sometimes we feel it. certainly people around the world feel it, when we talk about Jesus has come, there is this sense in which the song is crying out for us, okay, Jesus has come, but there doesn't seem like things are all that different. 
Jesus has come, but, but look at all the violence in the world. Jesus has come, look at all the pain. Jesus has come, look at all the despair. Yeah, I know Jesus has come, but hate seems awfully strong, awfully real. We wonder, what do we do with it? And you come to that fourth verse, and he says, Then pealed the bells more loud and deep. Now, I don't know exactly what he means by that. I'm pretty sure he doesn't mean that they got a few more guys up in the bell tower to pull the ropes a little harder. There is something about the bells pealing more loud and deep that I think is, you know, you can hear something and then you hear something. We all hear things. We don't always hear things. I suspect that if we asked a number of our spouses, they would be able to help us with that differentiation, right? Or our children, or our parents, or our friends, or our colleagues. Any other people in our lives could could give us examples of hearing and hearing. One of the things you find when you read through the scriptures. I mean, you look at Jesus and his interactions with so many people. Particularly the religious leaders. They hear Jesus. They don't hear Jesus. And the difference, the difference between the people who hear Jesus and the people who hear Jesus is their hearts are open to Jesus. There is a sense in which people say, I, I don't always understand what you're saying, Jesus, but, but I'm for you. I'm with you. I'm listening. I'm open. There is this humble spirit that says, I am ready to hear. I'm willing to hear. I'm willing to admit that I'm wrong, that I don't understand it, that I haven't gotten it. And they hear it. And the bells peal more loud and deep. And what is it that the bells say? Because you notice Longfellow is not saying he's saying this. He says the bells are pealing this. And pealed the bells more loud and deep. God is not dead. Nor doth he sleep. It reminds me of the words of Psalm 121. I will lift up my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. To the question that that is underlying Longfellow's struggle and quite frankly sometimes our struggle. God is not incapable of helping us. And God is not ignoring us. God is doing something about our mess. Our pain. Our agony. And what does he do? He doesn't eliminate it which is what I often want him to do. And he doesn't deny it. God never says, stop worrying about this stuff. It's not true. And he doesn't really fix it the way we want him to. Instead, 
he steps right into the middle of it. And we find 30-some years later that Jesus not only steps into the middle of it, but he takes it all upon himself to save us, to redeem us, to bring peace on earth and goodwill to all people. This is our God. And in the coming of Jesus, we have to remember there, Jesus is come and Jesus is coming. And when you get to the end of verse 4, and pealed the bells more loud and deep, God is not dead, nor doth he sleep. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail, with peace on earth, goodwill to men. And we are not promised that we will see the fullness of that now, but the day is coming when Jesus who has come will come. And then we will see it. And then all will be made right. All will be clear. And everything that we've, in which we've placed our hope, all that we've believed in about who God is and, and who Jesus is and what Jesus comes to do, all of it will be clear. And we will experience it in all its fullness. And we will understand for once fully the promise, peace on earth, goodwill to all people. We will experience what has been God's intent from the very beginning of creation. That his people, his creatures would know his peace and his joy. We would know flourishing of life that sin has corrupted and destroyed. We will know fully that truth, Jesus, wins. And that's our hope. That's our joy. That's what this celebration ultimately is about. It's why the bells keep ringing. It's why the bells ring in the first place. That Jesus has come and Jesus is coming. And with our world that looks like everything is twisted around and turned upside down and backwards, we know the truth. And when you know the truth, and you can live your life differently. You can trust, you can believe, you you can live in a spirit of joy. You can be people who make a difference in this world. Because no matter how strong hate is, no matter how powerful evil is, the wrong shall fail and the right prevail. And that's our hope. For a lot of people when they, I listened again as I've done all these weeks, listened to lots of recordings of this song. And um, there, are, there are varieties of, of, of ways in which people treat this song. A lot of artists stop at the end of verse 4. And it does sort of feel like you've reached the climax, right? I mean, you feel like this, this is it. We've done it. But there is a fifth verse. And I think the fifth verse is significant for us. Then singing, ringing, on its way, the world revolved from night to day. A voice, a chime, a chant sublime of peace on earth, goodwill to men. And I think that what this verse is telling us is that despite the feeling that there is this dissonance between the bells of Christmas and the reality of life, the truth is because of Jesus, the bells keep 
ringing. And they keep ringing that message that is true and right. The message of the one who comes in light and pierces the darkness. The one who is hope in a world of despair. Jesus. I think the ringing of the bells that he talks about in this story is really the proclamation of the church. It's the life of the church. It's what we bring to this world of darkness and despair and hopelessness and pain and, and grief and agony. It is the church proclaiming Jesus. And we, we continue to proclaim Jesus. This is the message. This is our hope. But, you know, Christmas is one of those events that can feel, it sort of can feel monotonous and routine. I mean, it comes every year. And, and I think, I think that the, the fact that it can feel monotonous and it can feel routine is one of the reasons why in our culture, particularly in, in North America and the West, we keep trying to make this year better than last year. We keep trying, we'll, we'll give bigger gifts, we'll spend more money, we'll, we'll do more decorations, we'll do more of this, more and more and more. And, and, and there's something within the human spirit that says, it's just, it's just monotonous and we've got to fix it. But we as the church, it's one of the things I love about the church calendar. We keep coming back around and every Christmas, every Christmas Eve, we keep coming together and we keep reading the same scriptures and we keep singing the same songs and we keep saying the same things. Why? Because it's the truth. Because it's the gospel. But if we are going to make a difference in this world that is looking for something to be different, if we're going to make a difference in this world, then it matters not just that we keep proclaiming, but that we are proclaiming Jesus. And when we ring the bells of who we are, and we ring the bells of of proclaiming the gospel, we make sure that we are proclaiming Jesus. We're not proclaiming our pet peeves. We're not proclaiming the, 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 our, our opinions. We are proclaiming Jesus and Jesus alone. And it means that not just what we proclaim, but how we proclaim it is vitally important as well. We proclaim in humility and love, in a spirit of joy and peace and grace and mercy. Because otherwise, our message sounds exactly the same as everybody else. One of the versions of this song that I came across uh, as I was listening to a variety of them was by an artist, David Bazan, who put the fourth verse this way, then pealed the bells more loud and deep, we're only what we sow and reap. If we're ever going to get along, then we ourselves must right the wrong. Wow. Wow. Talk about poetic license, man. But you know, that's how a lot of people feel. And we as the church have to be the voice that says, yes, we are involved. Yes, we do our part. Yes, we are actively trying to help make this world a better place. But it's all because of Jesus. And the people see something in us. They hear something different about us. Not just the words we say, but the way in which we communicate them. 
There are lots of historians who believe that one of the issues that that Longfellow was wrestling with as he wrote this song was the church's inability to come to agreement and take a stand against slavery. And he had a hard time trying to, to bridge those two things of peace on earth, goodwill to men and slavery. And it made me wonder... In what ways are are we sending people mixed messages about what it means to be a follower of Jesus? That we're proclaiming peace on earth, goodwill to all people. And then we live and act differently. And I think at the heart of that is the fact that we believe that Jesus is who he says he is. Because our most, most profound influence we can have on this world is to help people see a clear image of who God is. And that's our calling. Our calling is to present such a clear image of who God is that when they hear us and when they see us, they see Jesus in us. And so we keep ringing the bells... We keep proclaiming the truth. And maybe the best way to summarize it is is what C.S. Lewis said. He said, when we talk about the Christmas celebration, it's not that we, we throw up our hands and say, look what the world is coming to. But rather, in gratitude and thanksgiving, in love and grace, we say, look what has come to the world. And so as we sing this song together, we sing in honesty and reality, but we sing in hope and joy because we know the one about whom we're singing. He is good. And we trust him. Holy Father, thank you for your grace and mercy in our lives. Thank you for the coming of Jesus. Help us to live what we sing because we believe what we sing. We pray this through Jesus. Amen.